happy epiphany to you all. Really, that's how we're starting the new year? Happy epiphany to you all. All right, thank you. We are in that season of epiphany. The church year starts off with Advent, then we go to Christmas, and Christmas is a very short season, and then we have epiphany. Epiphany began um, on January 6th. This also happens to be the 12th day of Christmas. If you know that song, the 12 days of Christmas, starts at December 25th, ends at uh, January 6th, which also happens to be the first day of Epiphany. And Epiphany is a season that we um, think about, contemplate on uh, the coming of the wise men to Jesus. Epiphany means revelation, this idea of God revealing himself, um, starting off as an infant, and obviously growing up to be a man who dies for us, but not just a man, but again, as God in human flesh. So what I want to talk about today is these, these guys, these mysterious magi. And in order to do that, we're going to spend some time uh, reading. It's not clicking for me. Am I going the wrong direction? There we go. We're going to spend some time reading about these guys, which they're only found in the Gospel of Matthew. And so we're going to divide this up. You're going to... No, left side. Sorry, my left. You're going to be left side. I actually have it on here, so you can follow along in the Bibles and the pews if you want, or just read off the screen. Center right. All right? So left side, we're going to begin with you. are going to be verses 1 through 4. Here we go. Now after... Center. and right side. Well done. So, just who are these wise guys anyway? One of the things, too, is I want to kind of uh, debunk a few kind of uh, Christmas myths out there, all right? 
or uh, I should say epiphany myths here. Uh, this is actually from the movie, The Nativity Story, story back in 06. Anyone seen that movie before? Okay, a few of you. It's, it's an okay movie. Um, and oftentimes, right, when we watch these movies or what have you kind of thing, they always depict three wise men, right? Now, why do they depict three wise men? Because there was three gifts, right? Did you notice in the text, did the, did the text say anything about how many wise men there were? No, they just talked about plural wise men. There could have been like 50 wise men that came okay, to Jesus. So, first of all, there may have been more than three. The other thing, too, is that tradition also gives them names. Uh, Melchior, Caspar, and uh, Balthazar. Did you read those names in the text at all? No, they weren't in the text, so we don't know what the names of these guys were. So that's just to throw those out anyways, is that uh, for starters off, there might have been more than three wise men, and we don't know their names. But let's, let's uh, go a little bit further in this, because there are some interesting things the text give us in regards to some clue about maybe who they are. Uh, first of all, we're told they're from the East. We're going to explore that a little more. And second of all, we, we're told that they follow a star. Okay, so we're going to explore that a little bit more, too. So let's talk about them being uh, from the East, these Easterners. We think that maybe they're from Persia. And the reason we think that is, uh, first of all, uh, they're called Magi. And this word Magi is found in Heroditus, who was a Greek historian, and when he was, he was a contemporary of Socrates, and he talked about these magi who were from Persia, from Persia. When we look at the Old Testament, that word magi is also being used. Now, as you probably recall, if you've been in core theology or, or New Testament or Old Testament, uh, that the Old Testament was translated into the, into the Greek, and we call that the Septuagint, right? And in the Septuagint, in the book of Daniel, we have these three different places where they refer to magi. And these are the places where, and Daniel and his, his three buddies, remember his three buddies? All right, say it loud and proud. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're, they're sent off into exile to Babylon, and they're, and they're kind of lumped in with these magi who are called the enchanters and the magicians and what have you kind of a thing. And you see that in three different locations. Um, the beginning of Daniel is Babylon. Later on, Daniel is Persia. So that's hmm, interesting there. Another place that we find in the Old Testament is actually Esther. And this is underneath Persian rule where we see this word again, magi, appear. So it's probably pretty good evidence to think that they were coming from Persia. Well, let's talk a little bit more about this idea of them being stargazers. And again, in Daniel, the magi are identified with this group of people, the enchanters, the magicians, and the astrologers. The astrologers. So let's talk a little bit more about astrology. And let's talk about ancient astrology. Uh, in ancient astrology, their goal was to interpret the heavens. What's happening up there? What's going on with the planets and the stars? Because they believed that in interpreting the heavens and what was going on up there, they could understand what kind of events were happening on earth. Historical events, events with rulers, and those kinds of things, all right? Um, also, one of the things is that you have to understand is that in the ancients believed the stars were deities or representative deities or the deities were behind them. 
Okay? Uh, that's a very interesting belief behind it. They, they believe that they were divine. This kind of reminds me of this film. How many of you have seen The Lion King? Do you remember this scene? I, I particularly found this scene. They're, they're stargazing. Do you remember what Pumbaa? They asked, you know, what are the stars in the sky? And Pumbaa says what? They're big balls of gas, right? And, and Timon says everything is gas to you kind of a thing. Um, that would be my sons at home. That's a totally different story. Um, uh, Simba, though, gives a different answer. What is Simba's answer he gives? I hear... The stars represent the kings of the past, right? The kings of the past. That's, that's ancient astrology. That's how they understood that. The, and, and, and remember that in ancient times, the ancient Near East, a lot of times they divinized the kings too as well. So you see that even uh, popping up in our, in our popular animation in, in Disney too as well. That idea that the stars represent the divine. Uh, one other thing I want to show you in regards to that. This is a... Um, idol of Artemis, and Artemis was a Greek and Roman goddess. And what's interesting about Artemis, actually she was the primary goddess in Ephesus, and uh, just a little side note, um, when you read the book of Ephesians, you should probably be aware of this context in Artemis worship that's going on and all that's happening there. Uh, one of the interesting things about this idol or the statue that you may not be able to see is that around her neck are the signs of the zodiac. So it was believed that Artemis had powers over the stars, over the fates. So you kind of see another kind of divine connection with this astrology. Also think for a moment, what are the names of our planets? Jupiter, Mars, even poor Pluto, who we're not sure if he's a planet or not, right? They're all named after what? Roman gods. Hmm, gee, I wonder why that is, right? This understanding of ancient astrology. So believing that the gods are behind it, believing the gods are maybe in control of your fate or, or what's going on here. But one of the things I want to do, though, today as well is I want to maybe lessen the romantic notion of the Magi to you. And I'm going to tell you, the Magi were practitioners of the dark arts. It would be as if Voldemort or maybe the Death Eaters were coming to visit baby Jesus. Can you imagine that scene? There's a knock at the door and Mary opens and there's Voldemort in the in a cadre of Death Eaters bringing gold, frankincense, or myrrh to Jesus. Okay, Or it might be like the Emperor Invader coming. Or, or let's be a little more current here. Might right be Supreme Leader Snoke and Kylo Ren coming, right? Bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But if, if we're going to talk about these guys, then we wouldn't be talking about three wise men. We'd only be talking about two, right? Because in the words of Yoda, always two there are, no more, no less, a master and an apprentice. <laughs> Thank you. I'll be here all week. So why am I throwing these guys underneath the bus? Well, in reality, it's because the Old Testament condemns the practice of astrology. If we go, for instance, to Deuteronomy chapter 4, this, this chapter deals with idolatry. 
Now, Deuteronomy was written talking to the new generation of Israelites that were going to go into the promised land underneath the direction of of, uh, Joshua. And in this direction, it talks about when you go in the land, stay away from the idolatry of this. And notice what's the idolatry in the text here even. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to, to them and serve them. The idea, right, that the planets and the stars are divine and that people uh, idolize them to worship them and follow them, that's condemned. We go a little, bit, a little bit farther in Deuteronomy 18, and God says, There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And you might say, well, where's astrology in there? It's underneath the idea of practicing divination or telling uh, fortunes or interpreting omens. Unless you're not convinced, I'm going to go to the big dog prophet Isaiah himself. And Isaiah actually says this in regards to judgment on Babylon. Okay, And here's what he says. Stand fast in your enchantments and with your many sorceries with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you may inspire terror. You are wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you. Those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known what shall come upon you. Behold, they are like stubble. The fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. No coal for warming oneself is this. No fire to sit before. Really? Practitioners of the dark arts are coming to Jesus? Jesus allows these kind of guys to come and the text says to bow down and worship him? These rank pagans, these these heathens? Yeah. Because that gets at the heart of who Jesus is. And this gets actually the heart of the Old Testament promises that we see, for instance, back in Isaiah. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. That was fulfilled in Jesus himself, to be a light to the Gentiles. And then we see also, later in Isaiah 60, and nations shall come to your light, and kings the brightness of your rising. Part of the reason why we call them the three kings too as well is because of this prophecy here. Out of Isaiah, that's usually also read during Epiphany. Jesus came not for the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. And I'm amazed at looking at the Gospel of Matthew, of how missional Matthew really is on this. Matthew's Gospel is probably one of the most overt Jewish of the Gospels because he constantly quotes from the Old Testament in these passages and how Jesus fulfills them. So I want to take just a real quick tour to show you, though, how Matthew really wants to help us understand that Jesus isn't just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. Matthew chapter 1, we see a genealogy of Jesus right away, and four of the women that are mentioned in the genealogy are Gentiles. We, we get a glimpse right away. Then, of course, we go to Matthew 2, and we've talked about the, the Magi from the East. We go to Matthew 8, and we see the story about how Jesus heals a servant of a Roman centurion. 
And I love this story because Jesus says, I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. The Roman centurion has better faith than all of Israel? A Gentile? And then we see a somewhat similar thing happening with the Canaanite woman, or sometimes she's referred to as a Syrophoenician woman, in Matthew 15. And Jesus likewise also talks about how great her faith is. And then we go to the end of the Gospel itself, and in that great commission passage that we are all well familiar with, right? All nations. Oftentimes it can be interpreted as the Gentiles. The Gentiles. Jesus is not just a Messiah for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. And what great news that is for us. Especially if we think about the Magi for a moment, being these kind of practitioners of the dark arts, and to think about the stuff that they did was considered to be abomination for the Lord, yet Jesus came to them to forgive them, to restore them, to be a light in their darkness. And as as you contemplate and you ever think about your own sin, you think, why would Jesus ever forgive me? (laughs) Just look at all the people that Jesus came to. That includes you too as well. But he died for you, to forgive you and give you a new life in him. In closing, I want to quote from a book that... um, I got this Christmas season, and, and I, it's been very powerful and impactful. It's from a guy named Michael Card. He wrote this small little book called the, uh, Matthew, the Gospel of Identity. There's a couple quotes I want to pull out there from you. And, uh, and I think this is interesting about this quote, and I want you to think about this quote in the context of being here in an academic setting, in our pursuit of knowledge and our pursuit of wisdom. And this is what he says. When we take into consideration the vast knowledge base possessed by the Magi and the fact that they were willing to undertake such a long journey indicates one simple startling fact. In all their sacred wisdom, in all their vast learning, they had not yet found the wisdom their hearts were longing for. Why else would they have taken such an arduous trip if not for an aching need to satisfy a hunger that all the world's wisdom had not yet satisfied? And then he goes on. This wordless one, talking about the baby Jesus, who was the word, was at the same time the wisdom of God. The wisest men in the world recognize it and fall to their knees. In closing, I want to pray a prayer for you that I um, uh, came upon this epiphany season, and it's uh, an epiphany prayer. So I invite you to, to bow your heads and to pray.